Welcome back. My name is Kit. And I'm Steve. And this is Streaming Things. Today on the show, we're covering American Psycho, the film from the year 2000. In the year 2000. Directed and co-written by Mary Heron and based on the controversial Brett Easton Ellis novel of the same name. This is a Patreon demanded movie. Luke and Sarah. Luke and Sarah. Thank you so much for suggesting this film. If you'd like to suggest a film or mandate that we cover it, there's a tier for that, T-I-E-R, on patreon.com slash streaming things. And uh, that's a fun hoot and a holler. You can also join the Discord <laughs> via Patreon, all kinds of fun perks and upgrades you can get. And if you can't afford to do that, we more than understand. Just please rate and review the show on Spotify or wherever else you're listening to this. Do it. It should be said. I saw some uh, debate in the Discord. If you would like to see the video version of the show, it is helpful to us if you just watch it on Spotify. Absolutely. But, you know, no no shade if you want to venture on over to the tumbleweed of the YouTube because Steve yeah. does put a lot of work into that. You can watch it there as mm-hmm. well. Because a lot of people were like, how do we help best? Where, you want, where do you want us to watch it? Yeah. Spotify. Spotify is the number one place we prefer people to ingest the content. But if not everyone has Spotify, so that's okay if you can't do that. I have Apple Music. We, we we learned about that earlier this week on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> so no hate. Spotify streaming service only ten ninety nine a month. I, don't, <laughs> I don't, actually don't know. I can't remember what the percentages of all that is. It's on auto pay. Yeah, it's on auto pay. I don't you know, whatever. I subscribe to the free trial of premium. I just can't get into the U, the UI. Really? I don't listen to as much digital music as you might think I do. Um, is the thing too. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts. Do you listen to a lot of non-digital music? <laughs> I do have some vinyls and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but what I mean, I guess, is that, yeah, I don't queue up a lot of, I don't have like a playlist or anything mm. like that. I have a gym thing that I do, you know, mm-hmm. alternative workout mix, which is just like 90s and early 2000s alternative rock geared toward gym stuff. You right. Know, a lot of Paramore and stuff on there, you know, mm-hmm. getting my flex on. Yeah. Other than that, it's podcasts when I'm driving and stuff 90% of the time. But recently, Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, Olivia Rodrigo. Love it. Yeah. I mean, we're already canceled from Monday for saying you like her more than Taylor Swift, so. Guts. <laughs> I had the guts to say that. Uh, but yeah, we're talking about American Psycho today. So if you've never listened to the show before, we talk about our overall thoughts on the film, not only what it was like to watch it this time, but what our history with the film is, our relationship throughout our lives with this film. And then we'll do our best Screen, uh, screen by screen, play by play, scene by scene, recap, uh, culminating in what I think will be the best podcast you've ever heard. I think I can safely say that. Yeah, safely. I mean, that's not a hot take at all. That's just science, baby. It's just scientific method. That's my hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Now let's conduct the experiment. Let's do it. Bitches, get your Petri dishes out. Science, bitch. <laughs> this is Jesse Pinkman with his own like, Bill Nye the Science Guy show. I'd watch that, actually. That actually Bill, sounds Bill, great. Bill, Bill, bitch. Oh, um, Bill. <laughs> remember that dude? Let bro cook. Remember that dude in the Bill Nye show? There's always that, like, voice. That, oh, that, that, that like, voice really like, low voice? Oh, uh, Bill. That, he, that's, like, all he basically did? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> the disembodied, like, confused guy? Yeah. Yes, I do, actually. Um, any hoozle. Uh, <laughs> the plot description from IMDb is thus. A wealthy New York City investment banking executive, Patrick Bateman, hides his alternate psychopathic ego from his co-workers and friends as he delves deeper into his violent, hedonistic fantasies. Ooh. That's American Psycho. Steve. Before you ask me the question you're inevitably going to ask me, Chris, I have to ask you a question. 
Okay. Because of this oh, movie. Oh, how the turntables have mm, turned. Because of this movie, how often do you mistakenly refer to Jason Bateman as Patrick Bateman? <laughs> because I do it semi-regularly, and he seems like a pleasant man, unlike Patrick Bateman. There's also Norman Bates. I mean. Well, yeah, that's obviously where this name comes from, is sure. Norman Bates. But yeah. this movie has ruined Jason Bateman for me in terms of like <laughs> the accuracy and confidence I say his name. Also, his like... <laughs> Frequent typecast persona, uh, Jason Bateman, pretty similar to a narcissist kind of psychopathic person. Uh, I I could see them remaking this movie today with Jason Bateman as Patrick Bateman. Yeah. (laughs) His little brother, Patrick. Oh, oh, Uh, that was my wedding ring. (laughs) Back off, ladies. It's back on. (laughs) (laughs) For for a hot second there, people were like slamming on the door out front. Storming the gates. Oh, finally. Let me get them cheeks. Back off, Ruben. I'm back again. I'm taken again. Are we going to have a competition to see who can name drop Ruben the most this week? You're winning. <laughs> we just get in these modes where we're obsessed with our patrons. Yeah. And we just single one of them out. And he's in the revolving door right yeah. now. He shouldn't have put on a wig. No, no one cared who Ruben was until he put on the wig. <laughs> That's true. That Daenerys wig opened my eyes. Oh, man. I'm like, hello, sir. Uh, but yeah. Go so, spaghetti. So, so, <laughs> so Steve. <laughs> What have you ever read the book, the Brett Easton Ellen, not uh, Brett Easton Ellis novel? Uh, I have not. Have you? No. Mm, okay. We are unqualified to discuss this. Moving yes. on. <laughs> <laughs> what is your? I, I know you love this film. It's one of your faves, right? Yeah. Am I right? Yes. Uh, this movie is one of my favorites. If someone came into a room and they were like, "This is what this movie is about." Uh, a psychopath who is a murderer, a rapist. He's misogynistic. He's uh, xenophobic. He's homophobic. Mm. He's a Wall Street bro. Uh, he kills a lot of people, and nothing happens to him. I would be like, that doesn't. It's a slasher movie. It can it can be considered horror. Um, I would be like, no, that sounds like a terrible movie. That sounds like a movie I would not jive with. Why are you talking to me? Get out of my house. But in all honesty, I fucking love this movie. Um, I think there is, even though there's all this dark, gross, disgusting shit that's happening in this movie, there is this air of deadpan humor that coats everything that makes it more digestible, at least for me. And uh, Christian Bale, who plays Patrick Bateman in this movie, is absolutely incredible in this movie. I think this is my favorite movie, my favorite performance of his. He's so twisted, but at the same time, hilarious. And it's got a stat cast. I love the direction. I love the way they use this movie really feels like a movie that was filmed in the late eighties, early nineties. And that's hard to do. I feel like they really capture the tone and, uh, yeah, I just really, really like this movie, even though it's probably the most twisted movie that I like. It's maybe my favorite slasher movie of all time. Would you consider this a slasher movie? I don't even know. It's more w- of a dark comedy, right? Yeah, I would not. I, I see it as a black comedy. It's a dark comedy mm-hmm. um, satire. Uh, but it's funny because audiences at the time, even critics, didn't know how to take this movie. Yeah. Uh, it was not received well. Uh, Mary Heron told a story of watching this movie at the film. I think it premiered at TIFF, um, somewhere like that. And they were the only people laughing. Like Christian Christian Bale and Mary Heron. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Everyone else stunned silence. Uh, after the movie, everybody was kind of walking out, ashen-faced. Mm-hmm. What? 
What is this? It's it took like a decade for people to understand that this movie was supposed to be funny. Right. And now it's considered hilarious. People love it. It's a cult classic, but it took a while. It did. And, and I think a lot of that kind of goes towards how the book itself was also mired in controversy. The book is a lot, my understanding, it's a lot more graphic than the movie is. And um, it's it was like the 53rd most banned book in America in the 90s. Oh, really? Yeah. I know Brett Easton Ellis is himself a controversial figure. I used yeah. to listen to his podcast a lot. Did you really? Yeah. And it, it led me down some... I, I'm not going to call it like a, a right wing pipeline or anything, but I mean, there's some ideas in there that led me astray. You know, um, sure. I remember his review of Moonlight was like it was cowardly uh, because there's no sex in it. Like, oh, you want to make a movie about that's controversial, you know, that's brave about a, a black gay man and then, then let him fuck. And like I was listening to him talk for hours and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like 20, 26 <laughs> or whatever. Um and he talked about how, yeah, people are just acting like they love it as much as they do because they're scared to say, like, the black movie's not good. You know, I was like, and like this Brett Easton Ellis guy is a little kind of an asshole, you know? Um, well, yeah, in an interview, so for a long time, he would say he based the character of Patrick Bateman off his father. But then mm -hmm. in more recent years, he, he's been like, actually, I based it off of me. And I was too, you know, self-conscious to tell people I based this awful, cruel character on me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do anything you'd want to be associated with in the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bro is literally me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this movie has a very interesting, like, the way it was, it came to be. Well, actually, before we get into that, Chris, what was your, what's your history with this movie? So, actually, I think this is only the second time I've ever seen this movie. Really? And the first time would have been in the early aughts when it first came out or a few years after. Because in 2000, I was 12. Um, but I think I saw this movie by the time I was 17 or so. And I think I had the initial reaction in 2005 or so, 2006 of most people where I was like, I don't understand it. He should have probably gotten some kind of comeuppance. You know, what even is this movie? And I, it wasn't until I got really into film criticism and content creation and trying to be in the space of having opinions publicly on movies in the last six years or so that I realized people fucking love this movie. And I had seen it technically, mm -hmm. but was unable to contribute until clips started to pervade the internet over the last five years or so specifically. Like the scene where he gets the, uh, they, where they compare business cards is frequently yes. on TikTok and, and reels and stuff, right? Yes. And that move, that scene to me now is so fucking funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And the Huey Lewis in the news bit. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is is frequently used in clips, and it's so obviously funny. But at the time, as a whole, it so obviously wasn't, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so watching it this time, I had a great time. I was able to understand why people view this movie the way that they do so much more. I never disliked the movie. I want to I be clear about that. But I didn't see it as like this, like, if anything, I thought the satire was kind of on the nose. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but why, there's so much subtlety going yeah. on. Um, in this movie. And I, it's one of those movies like Fight Club that I think struggles to find its core audience. Like a lot of the people who support this movie and Fight Club don't know the movie's making fun of them. Right. And it's really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it makes you, if you like the movie, you're 
coupled with them now. And like, yeah. you know what I mean? You're like, oh. I was doing research for the for this movie today, and I came across a bunch of like YouTube shorts that were like, oh, the top 10 coolest lines that Patrick Bateman says. And it's all the misogynistic shit that he does. I'm like, that's not the, that's not what you're supposed yeah. to take away from this movie at all. I <laughs> think that's cool at all. No, he's the villain of this movie. Um, <laughs> well, I don't, there's hardly any good people. Maybe Chloe Savini, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, but we'll get into that soon. But yeah, I had a great time. I read some interesting interviews with uh, Mary Heron. Not only where she talked about the initial reception of it, um, but it's fascinating that like, she she made her first feature film at 42 years old. Uh, and this was her second film. Her first movie was a movie about Andy Warhol. I shot um, Andy Warhol? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I thought that was fascinating. It's, it's pretty late in the film biz, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I went through her IMDb page because I... I remember like, oh, yeah, Mary Heron did direct us. You know, I don't know if I've actually seen another movie she's directed, and I haven't. Like, I've only heard of The Notorious Betty Page, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But I never watched also that movie. Also written by uh, Guinevere, her co-writer on this. Did you know that Guinevere is uh, Elizabeth in this movie? Who's Elizabeth? Uh, it's the woman that uh, he picks up for the second date with Christy. Oh, that's the one I was just talking about where she's the, like, this wine tastes funny. Yeah. Really? The redhead? Yeah, that's that's Guinevere. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. She's also an actress as well as a writer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any other Mary Heron movies either. She's got one coming out this year, I believe. Um, but this movie is so smart and dripping and the like the satire and metaphor. Like you said, it, it's, it's a bit on the nose at the time or uh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like what it's trying to get at how like the main i guess one of the main things it's bringing up is how like yuppie culture this this uh th- this late stage capitalism kind of breeds these people who only care about um what's what's on the surface they don't really care about the quality of a person everyone is just a commodity to each other like how can we use one another there's this ongoing bit where no one can like really recognize anybody because they just don't really care about you they yeah, just care about even what they their can, close can friends they get each other mixed up all the time yeah and, it's, um, and to them, whenever like when they're like, oh, weren't you with this person last week? And he's like, uh, no, it was this person. It's believable that he wouldn't know that because they're all like, I don't care about anybody I'm with. Yes. Um, and there's a even bunch his of lawyer like that. at the end thinks he's someone else and they all secretly hate Patrick Bateman. You know, yeah. And talk shit about him to his face. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's it's a movie that is pretty obviously about, uh, you know, the violence that Patrick Bateman performs in this film is a metaphor for the violence that capitalism performs on society, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, especially he, when he does it to sex workers and, and the vag- homeless. vagrants, yeah. animals, which is terrible to watch yeah. in this movie. Um, all that stuff is, is pretty obvious. Um, like, it's just a, a, a metaphor for, for greed, especially in 80s Wall Street, which is, like, synonymous with coked-out greed, you know? Right. Um, but even with where we're at today, I think this movie unfortunately resonates more than ever. Uh, Absolutely, it does. Yeah, with the the labor movement that's currently happening and and uh, the the huge wealth gap that we're experiencing. And plus, and you know, uh, I, I'm excited to get into it with you on the ending of this movie because it is a little bit of a controversial, ambiguous, quote unquote, ending. I was going to ask you about that as well. What you thought about that? But um, I, it it kind of plays into the fact like a lot of people don't like how he gets away with it, pretty much, but. Really, you know, that's today. If you're wealthy, you can probably get away with a lot of shit and people just use your status as some way to overlook what you're doing. Not only that, it's not like he 
Because a lot of people think it's a it was all just a dream ending. Right. None of that even actually happened. Right. I don't think that's what it's, I think he really killed all those people. Yeah. And I, I think, think Mary that, Heron has said that, that that's true. Well, uh, Mary The fact Heron, that the lawyer thought he ate lunch with Paul Allen in London is more evidence that he doesn't even know who Paul Allen is. Yeah. And he doesn't know who Patrick Bateman is either. Right. Because he's talking to That's the to way him. I took it. Well, there's, I, I don't know if we should get into this now or in the, towards the end of the coverage, but yeah, I agree with you that it's also, um, he actually did kill those people and it's the fault of this world that he's allowed to operate in. Um, uh, unobstructed that allows this type of mon- monster to live in the society, a society like this that's superficial well, and doesn't care about because the only people that really see him for who he is is at the very at the at the end it's Jean and she's the only one who isn't completely given into this this capitalistic facade. facade. Yeah. She's the only character in the movie that hasn't given into that and she's the one who finally sees what he is on the inside. Yeah, and and it, it's so I don't even see him as getting away with it. Like he tries to have guilt. He tries to yeah. turn himself in. He even he, says that he doesn't get the catharsis he wants of getting caught. Yeah, exactly. Like he's robbed and of that. Nobody around him cares. Mm-hmm. And I love that throughout the movie, he'll tell people like, yeah. you know, I like to cut open hookers and see what they're like inside. And they're like, so where do you want to eat din- dinner? Yeah. Patrick. I'm in murders and, and what's <laughs> executions and executions like, oh, what's mergers and acquisitions like? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's dive in. We can move pretty quickly through this, I think. Um, there's more meat and taters there for, to talk about at the end. I do want to mention that in doing my research last night, I never knew that in 2002 they created a sequel. Yeah, I've never seen it. Which was an unrelated screenplay. Yep. Completely written, had nothing to do with this, that they tacked a vague resemblance to American Psycho onto. It was a script called The Girl Who Wouldn't Die. But this movie star American Psycho 2 stars Mila Kunis and William Shatner. Wild. I wish Andy was here to say, I hardly know her. I hardly know her. (laughs) But that is the wildest sounding horror movie. Have you read the plot summary of that movie? Vaguely. It's bananas. I delved into it. I kind of, but I've, people on Twitter told me it's not even so bad. It's good. It's really not worth your time at all. Yeah. It was a direct to DVD or direct to video release. I guess. Um, American Psycho 2, all American girl. They only tie it into this movie because, um, there's like the first scene, Patrick Bateman's like kill, like trying to kill her babysitter as a young, when she, when Mila Kunis's character is a young child and she like saves her babysitter by stabbing him with a spike or something. Yeah. And that's like, Oh, she ran into Patrick Bateman's <laughs> sequel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The plot says a girl named Rachel Newman has developed a taste for murder and will stop at nothing to become a college professor's assistant. I guess the professor is William Shatner. Yes. Oh my God. It was co-written by Brett Easton Ellis. He's got a writing credit on it. Oh, just because of the book. Yeah. Just because of the book. But that's so, it's so nothing to do with the book. It was a completed screenplay and they added like a voiceover and a mention of Patrick Bateman and that was it. Yeah. From what I understand. I got to watch it. There's actually um, another, it's another uh, Easton book that was made into a movie that actually takes place in the same universe. What's that other movie called? I'm trying to look it up real quick, but I don't have it clearly labeled in my notes, but it's, it's another movie where the main character of that movie is Patrick Bateman's brother, but the movies aren't related to each other. That's just in the book. These two characters were brothers and they have two separate books made about the two brothers. The only other movie I know of his was the canyons with, um, Lindsay Lohan and Hold on, in the eighties. He did one called less than zero. Let me look up his novels real quick. It's uh rules of attraction. Oh yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you look, so let me bring up IMDb rules of attraction. 
with James Vanderbeek. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Ian Summerhart. Yeah, James Vanderbeek plays Sean Bateman. Like that's how that's what he's in that movie. That's his character, and they're me- they're meant to be those characters in the books are brothers, and even that character Sean Bateman is in the book American Psycho, but he wrote another book called The Rules of Attraction that focused on that brother and not uh, Patrick. And that's a Roger Avery film. Isn't that wild? Yeah. This movie actually has some incredibly odd and wild behind the scenes drama going into it. We kind of mentioned the book banning and how like that was such a controversial story to begin with, but even Brett Easton said it was too violent to become a movie. Yeah. And and if you watch this movie like there's a lot of horrible shit that happens, but a lot of the violence is sort of alluded to except in like one or two very specific scenes. Yeah, uh Mary Heron was very pissed off about this. She yeah. was like it's mostly the sex that people have issues with, which is bizarre in our culture, but it's not that violent of a movie. It's mm-hmm. just a disturbing kind of violence. She's like I love John Wick, but John Wick is 100 times more violent than this movie, but it'll yeah. never be seen that way because of the way our culture is. Yeah, like I don't think you actually ever you only see Patrick Bateman stab a person once and it's not bloody. Uh, it's the the vagrant guy. Oh, yeah. And then there's maybe... Um, the I chainsaw assume, scene a little bit went down the stairs. Yeah, but he doesn't actually ever... You don't see him hit her with the chainsaw. It's just sticking out when it's it cuts just, to it. Yeah, and they're running around. Like, he, there's no actual, like, penetration of the chainsaw on them yeah. that you see. So you're right. Like, John Wick's way gorier and violent in that aspect. But this, to your point, is, like, more disturbing to look at in a weird way. Yeah. But there's also, like... um like like if you listen if you look at like the so in the early 90s they tried to make this movie Paul Verhoeven was going to direct it oh god and Paul Verhoeven had this whole like idea and he eventually I think Brad Pitt was going to star in his version of the movie that kind of got dropped Mary Heron came on board with Christian Bale uh, but the studio was like hey we want Leonardo DiCaprio to play Patrick Bateman and Mary Heron's like if you do that I quit and they're like well we're doing that so then Oliver Stone was going to direct this movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, but at the time, so this is like shortly after Titanic came out. And um, I don't have her name in front of me, but there was this woman. She was a pretty prominent um, uh, uh, feminist activist. She like sat down with Leonardo DiCaprio and says, hey, you made Titanic. You have this really big following with 13-year-old girls. What's it going to look like when you do this movie? Because she was a big like... Uh, she hated the book, so she didn't want yeah. this movie made. So she's like, "You're gonna, how, what's that gonna uh, show all your newfound fans?" And so Leo backed out. When Leo backed out, Oliver Stone backed out, and then they went back to Mary Heron, who's like, "Okay, we're hiring everyone I had hired before. We're making our movie." Yeah. And and then the drama continued because this movie is so much focused on, um, you know, clothing and you know what are you wearing, you know, all that superficial stuff. And so a lot of these like name brand things that are name dropped, they couldn't get a lot of the big names because these like Calvin Klein and all those people didn't want anything to do with this movie. Cause it's, uh, did, yeah, it's like reversed that. brand deals, you know? Yeah. He only refers to his watch as a watch because they couldn't get Rolex to allow them to use don't the, touch my watch. Don't touch my watch. Jean Paul Gaultier is name dropped. Uh, Valentino <laughs> suits are name so dropped. The, the Jean Paul Gaultier thing is funny because they initially wanted a, I can't, uh, Comme des Garçons. That's the bag they wanted, but they're like, you can't have our bag for using our, our bags for body bags. And Jean Paul Gaudier was like, you can use ours. Yeah, they <laughs> <laughs> should be great for bodies. Oh man, but yeah, it's it's so wild and a really funny sort of like uh, 
coincidental thing too is you know you know a big part of the success of this movie is Christian Bale and how good he is in the role. Yeah, would you agree? Like, I, he's, yeah, he's absolutely incredible. He said he, according to Christian Bale, I think this was a interview on David Letterman. He was saying that, um, or no, no, he it was Mary Heron who was telling this tale about uh, uh, Christian Bale's inspiration for how he plays Patrick Bateman, and he was saying he was watching Late Night with David Letterman, and he was watching an interview with Tom Cruise, and noticed this quote, very intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes, <laughs> and so he's basically like, I'm just going to be Tom Cruise. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is in the book, Patrick Bateman makes it a point to say he lives in the same building as Tom Cruise, <laughs> and it's just kind of like, whoa, this is so, the, how, all these things are intersecting. Oh, and last but not least, that woman that talked to Leonardo Di- DiCaprio and convinced him not to do the movie married Christian Bale's dad the same year this movie came out. That's Christian Bale's stepmom now. <laughs> Wild. So she was a mole to get him his role back. <laughs> it was all a giant ruse. Yeah, she's doing a solid for her Give new that movie son. back to my boy. My boy. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves it. He's been working out all year. Super Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Super Welsh. Uh, So the movie opens with a delectable fancy feast Mm. with a pleasant symphonic backing. They're going all all over these gourmet dishes. Swordfish meatloaf with onion marmalade. Yeah, we go through all the different waiters. Um, Rare roasted partridge, great with raspberry cooling. I zoned out for a weird second during that scene and was just thinking about if I was like a background actor and this was, I got a speaking part, I'm a waiter in American Psycho and I'm practicing this line where I'm giving these daily specials. I don't know why I was thinking about that at the time. Um, and then how if, would you deliver the line squid ravioli in a lemongrass broth broth? He delivered it perfectly. I could do it no better than that guy. But how would you do it? We've got squid ravioli with a lemongrass broth. My God. <laughs> 15 minute ovation at Cannes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> at least. Uh, and it's him and his, his coworkers and colleagues. The boys. The boys. It's a chick's restaurant. Yeah. Why aren't they at Dorsey's? They're talk, shit and talk, shit talking. Uh, Paul Allen, even most of them are actually quite fond of Paul Allen. They're jealous. They want to be Paul Allen. He's got that account. That's incredible. Yeah, and it, we should mention that Patrick Bateman's boys, played by you know, we got Patrick Bateman, Justin played Thoreau. by Christian Bale. We've got Bryce, played by Justin Thoreau. We got McDermott, played by Josh Lucas. And then there's a uh, uh, Van Patten, who's played by Bill Sage, who I'm not super familiar with. And Lewis. Can't forget Lewis. Oh, and Lewis, yeah, the director of uh, Captain Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, Matt Ross is the director of wow. Captain Fantastic. <laughs> wow, I just channeled uh, Owen Wilson there. I, I I love the introduction of these guys because you get to learn immediately that they all suck, right? Yeah. And and but Bateman in this first scene comes off as the quote unquote best of them because McDermott's like super anti-Semitic. And Bateman's hey, like, whoa, cool it on the anti-Semitism. Cool it with the anti-Semitism, pal. And then Van Patten <laughs> just like springs out of nowhere. They don't have a good bathroom to do coke in. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so funny because there's at least three scenes in this movie where Patrick Bateman is actually uh, like falsely passionate about the most like surface level social justice that he can think yeah. of, like the buzzwords. Fake allyship. Exactly. And I love that uh, probably Brett, but you know, at least for sure, Mary and Guinevere instilled that in this character. Like, this is who is among us. And they're not wearing 
rebel flag t-shirts and you know what I mean? Like in mm-hmm. MAGA hats necessarily. They're sometimes just They're wearing Armani suits. Yeah. <laughs> and then talking about how we need to donate more money to underprivileged children and this and, you know, and, and that's where the, the predators are. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next scene, they're at this like nightclub. Uh, the the bartender tells him he can't use his like his pay coupon, his coupons, his or like little like, like, drink stubs, drink tickets anymore. Yeah. And he, when she turns around, the music's so loud. It, it's it's very shocking because you don't know at first, first time watching that she can't hear him. Mm-hmm. So he just says, you fucking ugly bitch. I'll stab you to death. And play with your blood. And play with the blood. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then it cuts to her and you realize she can't hear. But for a second, you're like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's still shocking anyway, but uh, it's a very, very neat scene. He, and his delivery is so cold, too, because he, he's whenever he's with his friends, he's doing this sort of faux like. I like Paul Allen. Like, it's like how newscasters talk. That, yeah. that fake optimistic voice is how he kind that of... little dance he does with Huey uh, Lewis. Dude, I, dude <laughs> I can't wait to get to that scene. <laughs> so when he, like, turns that off and just goes, like, you fucking bitch. Like, it just, it feels like a punch in the face every yeah. time he, like, switches roles. And it's like, oh, this guy's sinister. I don't like him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next scene, we get these establishing shots of his, like, pristine modern apartment and this wonderful voiceover of his complex self-care skin cleaning routine mixed with his workout regimen. I can do Um, over a thousand crunches now. (laughs) (laughs) But then it it gets like existentially dark by the end. It was like, there's no real me, Mm -hmm. no identity. This is all a mask, you know? And he, um, and he does the, he has like some fa- facial mask like a face that he's peel. peeling off and it just looks so sinister. This guy staring dead eyed into the mirror, pulling a face mask off. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, at the office, Chloe Savini is his assistant. Uh, she plays Jean, a uh, legendary actor. Um, All set up by uh, the meme of Patrick Bateman walking with his headphones on. That's yeah, a that's big true. TikTok meme, but he's listened. To, I forgot that he was listening to Walking on Sunshine by <laughs> Katrina and the Waves. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy, like, I'm walking on sunshine. Whoa. Um, and he, she's like, you look nice today. And he says, don't wear that outfit again. Uh, you can, you're, you're prettier than that, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and yeah. so the, thick with misogyny. I love one of my favorite things I've never my first watch. I, I, I really think I've only seen it once. One of my favorite things that I love about Patrick Bateman in this movie that makes him the biggest piece of shit, aside from the, the murder and all of that stuff, <laughs> is that he's a high level, super rich CEO who literally does nothing. He does nothing. He's just doodling, jacking off, reading porn, watching Jeopardy. Every time you cut to him in his office, he's yeah. doing fucking nothing. And he's always telling Gene, like, tell him I'm not here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do <laughs> nothing. Not. All he does, well, literally, like, none of these people do anything. They never show any of the other. They're just. <laughs> they're all vice presidents, too. Yeah, they just go like, to lunch. Like, whatever that means. They yeah. all have these phony titles where they don't do dick. They make a ton of money somehow. And they're just complete pricks to everybody. <laughs> like there's this when Willem Dafoe, the detective, comes in, he's like, I'm so, I'm sure you're very busy. And he has to like hide his <laughs> porno mag and Walkman super fast. <laughs> anyway. I love it. Um, but yeah, he's super mean to her. She just eats it. He turns on Jeopardy and then it cuts to him in the car with his my supposed fiance. I'm trying to listen to the new Robert Palmer tape, but Evelyn is buzzing in my ear. <laughs> He's listening to Simply Irresistible. <laughs> Simply Irresistible. 
It's fucking. It's fire. Yeah, uh, Evelyn, by the way, played by Reese the Witherspoon. wonderful Reese Witherspoon. This wasn't in her book club. This book, I don't think. <laughs> Probably not. I do love Wild. Um, so he's trying to listen to Robert Palmer. She's buzzing in his ear. And she's like talking about getting married. And he's like, I told you, I can't take the time off work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're both having affairs with their friends, both of them. He's fucking yeah. uh, Courtney and he's convinced she's fucking Bryce, right? Yeah. Like um, he, yeah. He thinks she's having an affair with Bryce. So um, he really doesn't care. And I do like this little window into Patrick Bateman's. Uh, mind is when they so he and Evelyn get out of the car. They go into this restaurant called Espace. Es- is that what it's called? Uh, uh, yeah, some, a spot J es- or something. Spot J or something. And he has this line: "It's like I'm I'm literally on the verge of tears because I'm worried we won't have a decent table. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I am proven wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like he's so worked up about, about like status, status, and what they're going to look like when the, if they sit at a bad table. And then there's this one funny little line where he sits down and Bryce is like, "Here, the menu's in Braille," and he just like, yeah. stares at it for a second, confused. Because <laughs> it is steel and has like uh, embossed lettering or whatever engraved. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he meets those two like goth friends of uh, Evelyn's mm-hmm. and they talk about social justice issues. Uh, he, could you, I noticed the subtle correction of how Bryce pronounced Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Yeah, because Bryce says, says Sri Lanka twice. Yeah. And then he's like, Sri Lanka is not what's important. Mm-hmm. And he goes on this tirade of all these like. Got to end apartheid, world hunger, <laughs> the arms race, the homeless, racial discrimination, equal rights for women, encourage traditional moral family values, promote a general social concern and less materialism. Yeah. Like he goes through all that shit as if he cares about any of it. And yeah. then everyone kind of basically like stops and Lewis like, oh, my God, Patrick, that was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Lewis wants to fuck. Lewis does want to fuck him. <laughs> Which is one of the but other funniest parts. It's such a, like a, yeah, he's such a fake ally and just trying to look like this. He's all about looking the part of yeah. a smart intellectual person who actually cares about issues. That's, but he reminds me of the guy from Good Will Hunting with the ponytail. <laughs> that tries to embarrass uh, Ben Affleck in the bar. You know what I'm talking about? I've never seen Good Will Hunting. <gasps> Why'd you just do this? The like. Invasion of Body Snatchers noise at me. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> landmark cinema I have not seen. But Goodwill Hunting, I'm going to say this is the film brilliant thing I'll ever oh, say. Okay. Unabashedly, unironically, Goodwill Hunting Hit is me with fucking it. fantastic. It, it looks fantastic. I've just never seen it. One of the best Robin Williams performances of a many that they're in existence. Mm-hmm. We're talking Oscar level Robin Williams, my friend. Oh, Captain, my captain on full display. Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie. I would love to watch that with you. Dead Poet Society? Google Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I do want to see it. It's, one of those, it's just one of those movies no, that I, I just haven't it. gotten to. I've never yeah. seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. I get it. Well, it's not something I like to admit in public. It's okay. Luckily, this is just me and you here. Oh. And 10,000 or 20,000 people. Yeah, that will keep it to themselves. Yeah, don't narc on us, guys. We have to, <laughs> we have to maintain our street cred. <laughs> um, Me not seeing uh, Goodwill Hunting isn't important. What we need to focus on is apartheid. That's true. And world hunger, mm-hmm. the arms race, Sri Lanka, <laughs> Sri Lanka. <laughs> <laughs> After this, he walks up to uh, he, he goes to the ATM to take out money, and then walks up to a woman at a crosswalk. It's kind of foreboding and menacing the way that he's staring at her. And I think we're led to believe that he killed her afterward. 
Yeah, I think this is the woman whose head is in his freezer later on in the yeah, movie. Yeah, I don't she, recognize any of the bodies she has later. The same haircut, but there there was the blood on his sheets scene is right after this, right? Yeah. So I thought he killed her. I, I did notice a, a really subtle. I don't know if it's subtle, but it was a nice touch of making the scene even creepier. Was that she's she's significantly ahead of him, and he like walks quicker, really fast, so yeah. he can catch up to her. They stop at the light. He says hello, and as they start walking, she's trying to walk slower so he'll pass her. But he maintains her yeah. speed, so he's like side by side with her, and it is like very foreboding. Like, Ugh. yeah, like and that. He, he stares at her for like thirty seconds before she looks at him and he goes, "Hello, hello. <laughs> Would you like to know what I do?" No, um, mm, I make a lot of money. The next day, he's at the dry cleaners, uh, screaming at these people who can't speak English. Uh, you can't bleach a Saruti. <laughs> Which I guess is a nice kind of sheets. I don't know. And yeah, and this is another example where he like, it just is, he's admitting to what he's doing out loud. Cause he's like, if you don't shut your mouth, I'm going to kill you like straight to her face. But and she's, she, she's like, huh? Yeah. Well, she kind of understands that part. I think Yeah. Uh, at that point, Victoria walks in who I think is an ex-girlfriend of his or something. And who's enamored with him. So I looked her up cause she doesn't appear in the movie anymore after this. Yeah. So I try to figure out like who that is. And I guess in the book, she's just a woman who lives in his in the same building as he and who like has a crush on him and he's mm. he just is kind of vaguely aware of who she is but doesn't really know her. That's so, why when she's like, you want to go out? He's like, I don't know. Cause in the book she's described as being a little bit more heavier heavy set. And so he's like obviously a superficial dude and he's like, I don't want to talk to you. You're a heavy set person. Yeah. Um but yeah this is just a woman that I he vaguely knows I guess. I love it's so funny. And again, this is satirically funny. So when I say I love or that was so funny, it's because it's ridiculous. Right. But mm -hmm. when she says, uh, I, I want to go out for dinner and he's like, I can't, I work every night. And she's like, what about on Saturdays? And he, he takes the time to, instead of saying, I'm no, he goes, Ooh, next Saturday. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, ah, I got a, a matinee. I met Les Mis. Yeah. <laughs> like he just leads her down that path for no reason just before shutting her down again. But she sees the the bloody sheets because he's like, will you talk to these people for me to, yeah. to see what they can do? And she's like, what, what kind of stain is that? It's cranberry juice. Cran apple. It's cran apple. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't look like that at all. It looks, it looks like blood. In the next scene, he's uh, talking to Courtney, who's Lewis's fiance, um, his, his side piece. He's got porn on in the background, <laughs> which if you notice yeah. is actually a VHS copy of Inside Lydia's Ass. Oh, I did not write that down. <laughs> That's right. I just love this. This is a, I, I love how they kind of just keep introducing these subtle things. Like, this guy's not well. Yeah. You and, don't just keep pouring on casually in the background? Yeah, especially not when I'm talking to someone on the phone and you can mm. just hear it at full blast huh? in the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Lydia. Oh, are you watching Inside Lydia's Ass? <laughs> I love that movie. It's one of my favorites. That and Google Hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he tries to make her, she doesn't want to come out cause she's famously on a lot of psych meds, Xanax, mm -hmm. lithium, you know, she's bipolar, things like that. And, uh, he coaxes her out by saying he can get him a, a table at Dorcia, which is a very highly sought after restaurant in town. So yeah. he calls Dorcia to make a res and they laugh him off the phone. <laughs> you can't get a reservation this late. You fool loser or I really at all. Like you to get a table at Dorcia at all. Yeah. Um, so Courtney comes out all zannied out. She's in the cab, half passed out, and they go to a place called Barcadia. She's like, this is Darcia? And he's like, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> is that Donald Trump's car? Yeah. Trump is mentioned 
I think twice, twice in this movie. Yeah. Because it's Ivana and then this one. Yeah. Is that Donald Trump's car? <laughs> yeah. Implying, I would say, I mean, this is what, this, I love the thing, like the Donald Trump uh, comparisons, because that was always a person who, like, when you think of the, like, cokehead, crooked business person in the New 80s, York. Yeah. In, in New York, it's Donald Trump that you think of every yeah. time. So it makes sense that they would reference him because this is before, in the before times. Yes. <laughs> and it plays differently now. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, I always think of the, uh, there's a fun John Mulaney bit from like years ago. I think it was his first comedy album where he's like, <laughs> he's like, Donald Trump is a, is a poor person's idea of what a rich man is. And he, and he has this bit where like these people are like, man, when my number comes in, I'm going to have, I'm going to build tall buildings with my name on them. <laughs> and I'm going to host a TV show where I fire people with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just flexing. Uh, he orders dinner for her. And she say, thank you. You're going to have, because uh, New York Times called it a delectable little dish. Yeah, he's got all these little reviews uh, m- memorized because he always needs to know what's in, what's hip, what yeah. sounds good, what looks good. He just has it all like in the can up there. Sound bites, baby. Courtney, you should take more lithium or a Diet Coke. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It can be tough out there as we try to navigate the many twists and turns that life throws our way. Not every problem we face has an obvious or easy solution, but talking through these issues can always bring major benefits. So whether you're dealing with a career change, relationship help, or just getting used to your new normal, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. I myself have benefited from therapy. I have benefited from BetterHelp. I was struggling to find myself and figure out who I was post-divorce. BetterHelp matched me with an amazing therapist who taught me all about codependency, what it was, and ways I can combat it and realize my whole true self. So if it sounds like therapy is the right move for you, then give BetterHelp a try. It's online, convenient, flexible, and can work with your schedule. Filling out a brief questionnaire is all it takes to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time. To start your own therapy journey, visit betterhelp.com slash streaming things today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash streaming things. It's the month of September, and with a new month comes a new opportunity for us to be thankful for all of the stream fiends who help us at Streaming Things keep the lights on and make this show what it is. So let's give a super patron shout out to some of our most ardent supporters on patreon.com slash streaming things. Thank you so much to Becky the Farmer, Kaylee Sampson, Stanton Valentino, Sunshine, Huckleberry Cauliflower, Optimus, Mike from New Hampshire, Brett X, Emily Scarano. Lil Tickler, Svento7, Jay Scramo, A.K. Ashley Ray, Adam Busby, Wendy O'Loughlin, Jason Hawkins, Butthorn, Conrad, David Malfara, Rabbit Dog in a Barbie Car, Jose Ruben Cruz Rodriguez, Charlie Friday, Alexis Adler, Emmy, Joe Velez, Valerie, John Collins, Amber McVeigh, Amanda King, Trisha Bueller, Sun Loving Mortal, Suzanne Rode, Jadinglage Morgoon, Jen Robinson, Kate, Kalisha Reeves, Aaron Armstrong, Kevin Strother, Jeanette Murphy, Ashley Powers, Stephen V, Casey McCain, and Enza. And with that, back to the show. In the next scene, Lewis, they're all together again, like having brunch. And, and Lewis is glazing Patrick. Like, what a good suit. Oh, my God. <sighs> Thanks for taking care of Courtney last night. Yeah, that was so nice of you to take her to Dorsey. How did you get table? 
Lewis, don't touch me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Paul Allen comes up, played by Jared Leto, and mistakes him for Halberstram. Halberstram. Another guy that we, I don't think, Is ever meet. Marcus Halberstram? I think so. I think you, I think you see him in this scene, maybe. Because he's talking about, he's mistaken me for Halberstram. And they, they focus on a different dude. So I assume that's who he looks like. He's and like, we even get our hair done at the same place. Although my hair is slightly better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like people mistake him for other people throughout the movie. And he does for others as well. But like, and he never corrects them. He doesn't bother. It doesn't matter. I'm not an actual person. Right. I'm just a suit and a haircut. And, and so in this scene, Alan's like, oh, are you still with Cecilia? And he's with Evelyn. I assume Halberstrom's with Cecilia. And he's like, oh, Cecilia's great. Oh, you know Cecilia. (laughs) (laughs) Does it fucking matter? She'd be Sicilian. Mm, Oh. Oh, oh, wow. Of of Sicily? Yeah, wow. Um, I saw a fake news article earlier that it was like, Italy is suing uh, Hollywood for the unfair representation from mafia movies. Uh, Talking about Italians. Mm Mm-hmm. That was funny. (laughs) The whole nation of Italy? Yeah. It's a source, Italy. It's one of those like (laughs) fake news accounts that's just a news account's name, but with one letter changed. Um, So it looks, people think it's real a lot of the time. That's funny. I like it. I like that. I think that's funny. Uh, And then we get the iconic business card scene where they all compare fonts and a thickness, a tasteful thickness. The tasteful thickness of it. And Paul Allen's business card is so fucking good. It drives him nuts. He starts sweating. He can't breathe. Oh, my God. That's subtle off-white coloring. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it even has a watermark. I, Dude, I, I can gush about the scene all day long. I actually, uh, in college, there was a, my senior year, there was a project where we had to take a scene from a movie and recreate it shot for shot. You can do this one. I remember you telling yeah, me the story. And, and the, what the, a good one to pick. Yeah, and the point of the the point of the exercise was not to get like actors who look like it and necessarily like the point was to understand the framing uh, that's going on, like what lenses you use to achieve what look, how do you like block people? That was the purpose of it. And this uh, exercise actually taught me so much uh, because film really the reality of a movie only exists between four lines. You know, you're in a square. So whatever happens outside of those lines does not matter. So when you watch this movie, there is no, like, um, the way the scene plays out, uh, Bateman is sitting directly across from Bryce in the ta- in the chair. But there, there was one specific shot where you see over the shoulder of Bateman, you can see Bryce, McDermott, and Van Patten all in the same shot. And the way it's framed when we were actually filming this for this uh, uh, college project, I realized there's no way you can film this with them actually sitting across from each other. So we had, we moved Bryce and the people who were playing Bryce, Van Patten and McDermott, like down two seats. So they're actually like off frame from each other. And that's how they got that look. And I was like, wow, that that's true. Like you, whatever's in the frame is reality and you can play with stuff like that. Yeah. And then when we shot our Bateman and I play Lewis in the scene, um, (laughs) <laughs> we've shot in a, a in, a com- in a completely side of the room that had a window because there's a window behind him and i don't know i just really love this scene it's very funny i love the whole like they're all their business cards look the fucking same yes they're white with very similar font there's maybe subtle differences to it but they're all trying to big dick each other over these cards and something that makes it's called oxbone oxbone they're all <laughs> vice presidents and i don't know if you picked up on this joke but in the corner Mur- they're all they all work in mergers and acquisitions. Acquisitions is spelled wrong on all of their cards. Is it really? Yeah. 
So it's just they're all fucking idiots. Yeah. Competing over like who has the best square white card. And yeah. And then the whoosh sound, because every time they reveal their card, there's like a <laughs> noise. Yeah. Supposedly that is um, someone drawing a sword slowed down. Oh, uh, nice. So it's, and it's yeah. Neat. Sorry, I love this scene so much. I've it's done great. a lot of research on it in the past. It's fucking great. And it got memed recently where people would show like uh like poorly Photoshop like Horizon Zero Dawn on one card and then it would be like uh God of War on the other. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so they do like game of the game of the year joke videos and stuff and Oh my god. Oh my god. The taste will thicken. <laughs> yeah. What is that? That's bone. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. raised lettering. Pale Nimbus, white. Uh, so then in the next scene, he's offering things to a homeless man in the alley, and it looked like he's just teasing him with money, and he fucks with him for a long time. And like, why don't you he's get so mean? Why don't you get a job? Hey, Al, why don't you get a job? <laughs> you smell like shit, Al. <laughs> yeah. We don't have anything else, in, anything in common. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so cold. And then he opens his briefcase, pulls out a knife, stabs him to death, and then stomps his dog to death. Yeah, it's fucking awful. Not cool. He gives this guy just a glimmer of hope that he's going to help him out and then kills him and his dog. Which is what the man be doing, you know? <sighs> yeah. They pretend they, they want to help and then they, they cut you. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, we get more... He's kind of almost worried about himself a little bit. Yeah, he's his, not quite capable of that. My nightly bloodlust has overflowed into my days. Mm -hmm. My mask of sanity is slipping. Yeah, but there's I a lot of monologuing. I don't know if, we, if people have picked <laughs> up on the fact that like he he's monologuing a lot of the movie, like narrating because like, he's an unreliable narrator too. Yeah, uh, and we get to we cut a few months down the line. Now it's a Christmas party. Evelyn, his fiance, has a pet piglet. I forget what she named it. Potbelly pig. My God, what is that? What is that? And he's just so disgusted by it. Because, again, he's worried he's going to look bad standing next to it. Like, what are people going to think if you're holding that thing? Like, he doesn't say that, but. She's like, you're late. No, I wasn't. I've been here for ages. You just didn't see me. Mm -hmm. um, I just, there's no need for that. But I just, it bothers him to be seen as someone who's late. Yeah. I don't know if it's true or not that he was there or not. I just feel like. It, but it also leads into the, the the thought that all these people don't really give a shit about each other. Like, she didn't even notice he was there. Her own fiancé. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, and then... Uh, Paul Allen's there. Yeah. Uh, and then th I think it's Bateman that invites him to a restaurant, correct? Yeah, we should get lunch. <laughs> yeah. So Allen is upset the next time they're together at this restaurant that the restaurant is empty. Like, this isn't a happening place to be. And so Bateman is up. I think there's two reasons for that. He wanted it to be empty, so there was less witnesses that he was with him. Yes. But also, he's incapable of getting seats at, like, super cool places. Yeah, Paul Allen can get a get a table easy. at Dorsey and no problem. Easy. Because he's got the Fletcher account. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so he tries to act like this restaurant is so cool. Isn't that Ivana Trump over there? And that actually slows Allen down a beat because he's such a yeah. douche, too. He's like, wait, whoa. Allen's so mad that they're there. And, yeah, he says that about, like, oh, Ivana. Silly. Silly Patrick. I mean, Paul, uh, Marcus, why would Ivana be here? <laughs> <laughs> but he put that little nugget in Allen's brain. So he kind of, yeah, like you said, he cools down. Mm -hmm. He starts being like a okay with it but they're they're such dicks to the waiter oh he's like do you want to hear today's specials not if you want to keep your stone or some shit like your spleen says some like heinous shit to him yeah j and b straight and a corona i, I love that like the big point. point yeah and a corona <laughs> um and then yeah 
he makes fun of Patrick Bateman because he he says I'm Mark Halberstram, right? Yeah. It's like that Patrick Bateman. What a dork. Evelyn, great ass. <laughs> Patrick's like, yeah, have another martini, Paul. <laughs> so then they're back at his apartment, at Patrick's apartment. Oh, he also does the thing where I, I forget what Paul asks him, but he goes, I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he just goes like, oh, you should get a tanning bed or something, yeah. something like that. Where do you tan? Salon. I have one in my apartment. You should look into that. And Patrick's like, fuck, that is awesome. And doesn't he get one later on? Isn't he in a tanning bed at some point? I didn't movie? notice that. He's in a tanning bed in the scene before this, but it's at a salon. Oh, it, oh Cause, okay. Because it's the, the lady's like, you have such nice skin. You're right. That yep. scene had already transpired. That's right. That's right. Um, so then you take it away. I know you love the scene. We go back to Patrick's apartment. Yeah, we're back at Patrick's apartment. He has put uh, newspapers down on the ground. All of all of his couches are covered. But Paul Allen is like very inebriated. He's very drunk. He's slumped over, slumped over on the chair. And this is when Patrick starts to tell him how much he loves Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> and so he starts playing hip to be square and he just starts just just talking at Paul Allen, not with him. He's just talking at him about, you know, the importance of the song, and how great it is. And the whole time he's doing this, Paul Allen's struggling to kind of keep up with the conversation. But Patrick goes into the bathroom. He puts on a a raincoat, he pops some pills, he grabs an axe, and he, like, moonwalks out of the bathroom back into the room with the axe, and he's so happy, and I love this, I, and I don't know how, if you took it this way, but I love this performance because it's super manic, it's super wild, but to me, it seems like Patrick Bateman has, is at his limit of keeping the veneer of this character that he puts out when he's out in public and he's breaking. So it becomes more manic. Like I'm barely holding in my rage. I'm barely holding in my rage. Coat? Yes, it is. Yes. I, oh my God. That delivery. Is that a, yes, it is. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's so excited. And then finally he says like about the album, you know, Huey Lewis, it's not about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends. It's also about the, a personal statement about the band itself. Hey Paul. And then he just hacks his fucking face off. Yeah. And he's really bloody, you know, he takes off the raincoat and then just sits in the chair and just kind of is, allows the rush of everything he just did to happen and lights up a cigar. Yeah, gotta have that old cigar. The whole time, hip to B square is going on in the background. <laughs> Loves Huey Lewis in the news. Do you like that scene? I do. I love it so much. Mostly the jaunt after he stashes the axe behind Paul and goes to like, while he's wearing the raincoat. Oh, yeah, that little... Exposit more about uh, uh, Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah, the... That little dance he does. flamboyant dance back to the axe is iconic. Apparently his... And the axe is really cool. Like that stainless steel. Oh, it's got that beautiful sheen on it. Yeah, yeah. Apparently that moonwalk he did was um, uh, improvised. Like that wasn't something he was told to do. He's just like, I feel like Tom Cruise would do it this way. (laughs) Can I jump on this couch? (laughs) Do you have a dog, man? What's with the newspaper? Like a fucking chow? No, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to die. But yeah, when he starts chopping him up, he like starts screaming at him like, try to get a reservation at Dorsey and now, you dumb bastard. Like he's just, he's finally letting this rage that's been stewing in him just out. Yeah. And then it cuts to him dragging this bloody Gutierrez body bag out the front door. The the, security guard's like, meh. He's like, same old, same old. And then Lewis is walking by with, uh, not Courtney, another person. Yeah. And he's just like, oh my God, Patrick, where did you get that overnight bag? <laughs> Jean-Paul Gaultier. 
Uh, and then he goes to Paul's apartment. He took the keys out of his pocket and he's there ostensibly to make it look like he left. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but also a trip. he's so jealous. It's like the sheer panic when I realize it overlooks the park and it's obviously more expensive than mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just the sheer panic sets in. Oh, my God. But he re-records the voicemail and it doesn't sound anything like Paul Allen. Hi, I'm, I'm I've gone to, to London. But then we get some lady in red as he's just, you know, meditating in his office, not working. Lady in red. He's interrupted by Gene saying that there's a Detective Donald Kimball here. He's telling him I'm out to lunch. It's 1030. I'm pretty sure he knows you're here. Well, bloody man. Uh, and then he has this like uh, moronic conversation trying to instruct somebody how to uh, tip. Don't tip the owner. <laughs> so funny. Always tip the stylist 15%. No, Mark, don't tip the owner of the salon. <laughs> Sorry. Just some big accounts. How can I help you? Uh, and then, yeah, so th- there's the porno mag and the tape on the desk. and uh, Willem it, Dafoe, by the way. Did you mention that? It, yeah, I did. Yeah. It's Willem Dafoe. How wild. We're having a weird conversation about Paul Allen. There's some homophobia starts to crack in his facade here. He's and, all part of that Yale thing. You know, what Yale thing? Please do. Tell me more. You know, I think he's a closeted homosexual who does a lot of cocaine. <laughs> it's out of fucking nowhere. And yeah. Willem was like, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So he, he handles that very poorly. Yeah. And, and Kimball kind of introduces the whole, like somebody, somebody actually says they saw Paul Allen in London, but they were actually, mis- they mistook him for Herbert Ainsworth. Yes. So they've already, they are establishing even more that no one really knows who each other is. Right. And, uh, there was one funny, I saw this interview where Mary Heron was saying she instructed Willem Dafoe to play, so there's three there's three scenes where Detective Kimball shows up and talks to Patrick Bateman. And she said each three of the three scenes, he's supposed to interact with him in three different styles. One scene, he's acting as if he's suspicious of him. One, if he has no clue of Bateman's guilt. And one, as if he's undecided on if he's guilty or not. Okay. And so with that lens, it's kind of interesting to see, like, I think this one might be the... Undecided. Undecided. And then the next one's guilty, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. I think the restaurant is where he's the most suspicious. Well, he's he's acting so sus immediately. Like, yeah, <laughs> he should have been picked up and thrown in a police car immediately with how suspicious uh, Bateman acts this whole time. Thoroughly questioned. Uh, in the next scene, we see him working out again, this time to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah. And that jump scare from the actual you know 70s movie is pretty extreme. The scream was super loud. Um he goes to pick up a hooker in a limo and then orders a second one on the car phone. Can't stress her blonde enough. <laughs> I'm Paul Allen. Yeah. You're Christy, is what he tells uh, the escort in the car. Uh, he makes her bathe. Clean your vagina uh, from behind. <laughs> that's very exp- That's very fine shard you're drinking. Stand up, dry off, put on whatever robe you want. Not the Bichon. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know. I thought that was a dog. (laughs) (laughs) That's when the other woman shows up. I'm going to call you Sabrina. Um, And then you've arrived. How lovely. He talks to him about Phil Collins this time. Quite blonde. Are you (laughs) (laughs) more of a dirty blonde? Sabrina's not having it. Um, And he talks to him about Phil Collins while he orders them around. Get on your knees so Sabrina can see your asshole. (laughs) <laughs> and then he talks about Phil Collins some more. Don't just stare at it. Eat it. Yeah. <laughs> He's so gross. And then he has sex with them while looking at himself the entire time. To Susudio. Su- 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 
But this scene was cut. Uh, I watched the extended version. It's a lot more of the sex in the threesome era. But again, it's mostly just him flexing and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of hilarious because most of the scenes is just him looking in the mirror, like pointing at himself and flexing and like smiling. Like, what a fucking tool. And Christy's like pretty amazed by this. Like, wow, what a tool. Yeah, Christy knows there's something up with this dude. But just due to the nature of her situation, she's okay to risk being around him, which is unfortunate. Yeah, at the end, he like hits him with or like digs in him with chisels and hits him with a coat hanger I'm guessing because it cuts yeah. after he grabs those two things we're not quite finished yet and then yeah. they leave bleeding and you can kind of see two stripes on Sabrina and then later on Chrissy says she might need some surgery need after surgery. last time like so, what the fuck did he do to her yeah um but there's um a, a couple things like so Phil Collins mentioned uh you know he when he first heard because I guess his career is referenced in the book because in the book the book supposedly again I haven't read this this is just secondhand information that I'm going off of the book is written in a first person point of view for the most part uh, where Patrick Bateman is telling the listener like it's like a strain of thought type thing yeah where his day to day but then like he'll have full chapters where he just talks to people about an album so that's part of the, the reason why he always talks about albums albums and Phil Collins said that the first time he heard that his song was referenced in this book he was like oh you know i didn't read this book i just thought you know that's all we need we need glorifying this type of crap i'm not interested but then went on to say when the film came out i thought it was funny (laughs) (laughs) susu studio does slap it really does i mean i'm just glad people have threesomes to it (laughs) yeah and then apparently mary heron and christian bale worked together to to block the three-way scene and Mary Heron said that uh, Bale often made stick figures, stick figures, demonstrating the positions he thought would work. This is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's how I typically like to do it. If, if I were Jason Bateman or Patrick Bateman. Yeah. God damn, damn it. it. Every time. You would just be lecturing the two women on how they should not be hookers if you were Jason Bateman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You guys, you got to, you got to, you got to. That's my Jason Bateman that impersonation. Was pretty, that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> George Michael. <laughs> How's that profitable for Frito Lay? <laughs> if Patrick Bateman was their neighbor in Game Night, yeah. how's that profitable for Frito Lay? Such a good movie. Are you guys having a Game Night? Uh, that's an interesting crossover. I'd like to see. After I just, this, I just saw a Jason Bateman movie I'd never heard of before. Uh, this is where I leave you. Have you seen that? No. It's got Tina Fey, Adam Driver. Wow. Uh, Jason Bateman, uh, Corey Stahl. Sounds like a stacked it's a, cast. It's a stacked cast. Uh, Timothy Oliphant. Wow, now I'm sold. Yeah, it's an okay movie, but yeah, I that's just, the guy from Book of Boba Fett, right? Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> yeah, <was> a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say <laughs> of all the things, <laughs> Timothy Oliphant. You're like Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Book of Boba Fett. Fucking Star Wars drives me nuts. Um. In the next scene, there's an extended discussion of misogyny with his friends. He drops an Ed Gein quote on him. You know what Ed Gein, famous serial killer, said about women? They're like, who's that? And he's like, serial killer. And they go, all right, hit me. <laughs> what does he have to add to this conversation about girls? And in this extreme misogyny, Lewis has an exquisite business card to show. I got a new business card, too, guys. It's got a little green tent to some of the font on there. Mm. And uh, uh, Patrick is just very upset about that. Everyone looks like kicked puppies when they realize that Lewis, of all people, has a better card. Lewis has such a fire card, right? Uh, So he chases Lewis into the bathroom and goes to strangle him to death right then and there. It's on his gloves. 
But Lewis thinks he wants to fuck. Patrick, why here? I've been wanting this for so long. I've seen the way you look at me. Pa Patrick's homophobia is so deep that he feels the need to wash his gloves. Yeah, in the sink. <laughs> wash the gay off his gloves and run. Uh, I've got to return some videotapes, which is a joke I don't get, to be honest. He says that it's like his. That's, <laughs> that's his get out of jail free card for any conversation. Yeah. I got to go Even return says videotapes. It to the detective. I was probably returning videotapes. <laughs> yeah. Where were you? Where were you that night? You know, uh, it's so fucking funny to me, but I don't get it. I used to say that. To I'm going to start saying that when I want to leave. Oh, I used to do that at the movie theater. Like when I first saw this movie, when I was in my like early 20s and I worked at the theater, like if someone was having a conversation with me, I just wanted out of it. Just, I would just say, I've got to return some videotapes tapes and walk away <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna start doing that dude you should it's that's really how i'm funny. gonna end the show from now on especially now yeah no one has videotapes now it's like wh yeah what where are you, you gonna return about? them to goodwill that's just how i'm gonna end the show from now on instead of that's all the time we've got for right now i've got to go return some videotapes my name is kit <laughs> exactly you get it um and we get another interview with detective willem dafoe um, and he says, again, I need you to remember where you were that night. Oh, I went to an early showing of, oh, Africa, brave Africa. It was a laugh riot. <laughs> it was riot. a laugh riot. <laughs> it does not sound like it's intended to be funny. No. Uh, and then uh. he pulls out a Huey Lewis in the news CD out of his briefcase. And it looks like he's fucking with him because it's like, do you know that I was listening to that when I killed Paul? Mm -hmm. And that's how Patrick takes it. I think it's just a coincidence. Yeah. So Patrick's like, no. Uh, I, I don't like music at all. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you don't like music? No. No, he just, I don't like it. Uh, so then we cut to him banging Courtney, which is, again, Lewis's fiance. Missionary style. Yeah. Showing some character arc there. He's not mm -hmm. in the right mind. He's got all his clothes on. Uh, well, this is an interesting, so Courtney obviously is very depressed. Yes. She's very upset. If you don't call me before Easter, have a good one. Okay. Yeah, he's being very dismissive, but there is this weird relationship between the two of them where he he doesn't try to ever kill her or hurt her yeah. in the way he does or every... Or Evelyn, true. But, but Evelyn, it seems more of a status thing and yeah. keeping up appearances, whereas every other woman he would like, he has he at least tries to hurt. He doesn't try to hurt Courtney. He almost, at one point he says she's perfect, like in the beginning of the movie. He yeah. seems like he likes her the most, but she is clearly, I, I, I don't know, I could be reading this wrong. I feel like she's suicidal and that was the whole like if i don't see you before easter i hope it's a good That's one the vibe i got yeah and she's like and because she every time he tries to leave he, she's like patrick and he's like what what like almost she's trying to connect with him because she actually like loves him and cares about him which is weird with with her situation and how and in a strange way she's the only one of the only people that he kind of connects with too because he even lingers like, what, what is it? Like, But he has no emotions yeah, he, and can't really understand that. So. He doesn't know how to react, so he doesn't Narcissistic, leave. Narcissistic, yeah. yeah. It's a very interesting scene in two characters to have together. At the next scene, they're back at a club again, and this is where we get that uh, murders and executions bit where they're flirting with the ladies there, the models. Mm -hmm. um, you keep it down, I'm trying to do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> hey, fuck you, man. Sorry, uh, steroids. <laughs> It's, it's really <laughs> shitty coke. If we do enough of it, it'll work. It's a sweetener. Sorry, it was the steroids. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, and then one of the models is really into Patrick. And she's like, you think I'm dumb, don't you? And he's like, no. 
She's like, actually, I don't even care. <laughs> and then they, they go to his apartment. He kills her because in the next morning he's in his office with a piece of her hair. Yeah. Uh, and I think we see her body uh, later on in the scene with Jean or not Jean, but the uh, Christy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing he's doing a crossword puzzle in every word is either meat or bone is yeah. what he's filling in every mm-hmm. answer with. Uh, and th- at this point he asks Jean to dinner and says, anywhere you'd like to go, I'll take you. She says Dorcia, which is the wrong thing to say. Uh, so he pretends to book a table at Dorcia. She's like, you, you didn't even say the name. And he's like, they know me. They know me there. Uh, but won't you meet at my apartment first around seven for a drink? Uh, so she meets him there. This is where we get the scene where he offers her sorbet and uh, there's a head in the freezer and says he can't have any because he's on a diet. And she's like, you look great. You can always look thinner and better. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we shouldn't go to dinner so I don't ruin your willpower. Oh, that's okay. I don't have much self-control anyway. And So, uh, the, yeah, she thinks they're flirting. Right. He's but, talking about killing her. But the whole time he's walking around, like, looking at, uh, should I kill her with this knife? How about this nail gun? How about that, this duct tape? He, yeah, he looks at the butcher knives and stuff as well. He grabs the duct tape and a nail gun. He's about to shoot her in the back of the head. I, I think it's telling, too, in that moment, she said, have you ever wanted to make someone else happy? And he's like, what? And then he's about to kill her, and he never answers it because then Evelyn calls. Yeah. Um, no is the answer to that. That's never occurred to him ever, you know? And yeah. so, Gene, run. Yeah, I think it's an—this it, is another interesting scene where I don't know exactly what they're saying about him because he does kind of—he's almost putting her through a job interview, and the job is him killing her because he's asking her, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, all that stuff. And she, again, of all these characters, Jean is the one that isn't succumbed to this superficial lifestyle. Yes. And he's about to kill her. And I f- and she has that question, like, have you ever wanted to make someone happy? And right then is when Evelyn calls. And that's the superficial relationship he's in. And he, like, is deflated almost. Like, oh, wait. Like, uh, I, I hate these people. I hate me. I hate my life. This person seems better than that. And then he, he lets her go and says, like, I... He, and again, it's an, it's a double it's a double entendre stuff because he says like I'm afraid I can't control myself if you stay yeah I might hurt you and she's like I don't want to get hurt like she's again thinking of the relationship yeah because he's seeing broken Evelyn stuff. yeah broken heart stuff but he's literally talking like I might fucking kill you she's missing the red flags where he was telling her about Ted Bundy's first dog and stuff earlier yeah. on <laughs> who's Ted Bundy yeah. he had uh, a dog named Lassie can you believe it. There's something I never noticed before in this scene. It's so tiny. But when Evelyn's on the voicemail, she calls him honey and he winces. And after he winces, like it's you got to be watching his face and listening to her talk because um, Jean's in the shot, too. But this this tiny like. And then afterwards, she's sorry. I know you hate that. And it's just like this thing. He doesn't like any kind of intimacy whatsoever. Like Mm -hmm. it's just completely pointless to him. It's painful, you know. I just thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, and the next scene is when he has, because she reminds him, by the way, you have lunch with the detective tomorrow, which he had forgotten. And this is where they Please meet my mind. at the restaurant. He finally gets his alibi out. And he's like, actually, because um, he was trying to blame Halberstram, I think, on killing Paul Allen, which was the entire point. He's like, Halberstram was at this club the whole night with all your friends. And you. And you. <laughs> oh, was it that night? Oh, Whoa, slipped my mind. And so the detective B-plot thing is suddenly not even an issue anymore. Um, uh, yeah, Willem Dafoe thinks that Paul Allen just went nuts and went to London to get away from it all. Yeah. 
Um, which I like the idea that the director told him to act at each scene differently because you're kind of all over the place whether or not for a minute you think the detective's hot on his trail and in a normal movie that's what he the, would be that's what the conflict would be is that he is you know he does suspect him but no, no not at all just wants to eat lunch well, there's a deleted scene where he runs into Kimball at a nightclub so it like implies that Kimball's also kind of in this realm as well yeah of like partying by night and doing coke and shit yeah so what was the 80s in New York right hell yeah buddy everybody was baby studio 54 let's go <laughs> uh, and after this he goes to pick up Christy the prostitute again he lures her to the car with money and she's like I've had to I had to have surgery you know I had to go to the emergency room after last time Ugh, what not, did he do to her I have no idea so she's tempted back into the car. He gives her a check, and then she runs smart, intelligently, and then he mm-hmm. lures her with even more money back into the limo and calls up a friend of his who is apparently the writer of the movie. Guinevere? I didn't know yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they get back, and, and the Guinevere character, I forget her name. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, that's right. Uh, she's fascinating. She's got a little bit of a history with him. She's She's not a prostitute. She's like... One old fling of his. Yeah. Um, And they're talking about, you know, I don't have sex with women. And then I think he's drugging her because she keeps saying that the wine tastes interesting. Yeah. He he keeps telling Christy, drink up, drink more. But Christy's not. No. Yeah. Christy isn't because she's kind of in on the scheme now. Yeah. She she doesn't trust this guy. Yeah. You roofie people and kill them or do weird shit to them. Mm -hmm. I just want the money. She's like, this wasn't your apartment. (laughs) So they wait till they start fucking and then Christy tries to sneak out. Uh, but right as she's about to sneak out of the room, he's actively killing Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's like biting her. I think so. I think he's because his mouth's like, all bloody when he pulls up. Yeah. Um, and there ends ends up being this nude chase around the apartment, even throughout the apartment building. Uh, and she finds all the bodies hidden throughout the apartment, which should have been smelly. Um, some of them are in the freezer and stuff, but some of them are just laying there, cut open and stuff in yeah. certain rooms. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they haven't been there that long. I mean, this could be evidence of the people who ascribe to the theory that this is all a dream and he didn't actually kill anybody. But that would make it such a bad movie. <laughs> I agree. Like, yeah. They teach you that in, like, middle school. Don't do it's all a dream. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, and I think Mary has said it's not. That's what I was reading about today. Well, she uh, – we'll get to it when we get there. Yeah. Yeah, so she runs. She almost gets away. Long story short, he ends up chasing her with a chainsaw, inspired by the movie he was watching earlier, I'm sure. And it's a really cool scene where he, like, tries to to gauge the distance. and like, Yeah, so she's running down, like, a spiral staircase of yeah. some sort, and he isn't chasing her, but he's kind of, like, following her with the chainsaw and then drops it so that when she gets to the bottom of the stairs, it just hits her. Yeah. And he, you know, bullseye gets her. Kills her. And And, and again, like, you don't see it hit her. But you just see this like bloody naked Christian Bale just scream in delight that he got her like nah, and it's it's horrible. No one in the apartment building like she knocked on everybody's doors. Nobody Screaming. comes out. Nobody seems to notice. He's able to clean that supposedly. He's able to clean that mess up in the stairwell and go on about his day. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then we cut to him. He's he's drawing Christie's death. On the table, like he's at a La Rosa's with crayons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, with Evelyn breaking up with her. Yeah, she for a while she kind of ignores him. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're silly. I know I'm. Your friends are my on friends. Too thick with the, Yeah, I look. I've thought about that. How my friends are your friends, and you can have them. Oh, you're serious. 
you're not terribly important to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then she, she starts, starts crying. crying. Everyone's looking at them now. He's he's upset now him. because he, she's making a quote unquote scene. And so he he bails by saying, I've got to return some videotapes. I'm leaving. <laughs> I've got to return some videotapes. Um, then what happens next? Oh, he, this is the ATM. Oh, okay. He goes to the ATM at night. The ATM tells him to stuff the cat in it. Feed me a stray cat. <laughs> <laughs> the perf- oh, I could give Christian Bale all of the Oscars for this one shot where the ATM says, feed me a stray cat, and confused. Like, he looks so confused. He picks up the kitten, looks at the ATM machine, and then pulls out a gun and holds the gun <laughs> to the kitten's head as if to force it into the ATM. <laughs> Get in there. <laughs> And th- okay, this is the most wild scene because the whole sequence he is starts, bad shit. He starts to feed this cat into an ATM. An older woman pops up and is like, what are you doing? And, he, and again, confuses all hell, looks at her like, huh? And then shoots her like, go away. And it starts this whole so cops, uh, cops chase. He runs around. Uh, he shoots a, a receptionist guard into like a building and then circles back through the the spiral door to and like shoot the, the janitor. janitor. <laughs> he goes, around. he goes around and comes back and shoots him. Uh, Imagine not thinking this was funny. I, I, this is so fucking funny. <laughs> and then he goes into another building, but actually pretends he's going to shoot this guard, but like dramatically pulls out his pen. It so he signs can signs in. in. Uh, and I, don't forget. He killed the two cops. Too. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cops are chasing him and he has a shootout with the cops. He, he, he shoots a couple of them and then he like blows up both of the cars by like, shooting Whoa. at it. And he looks at his gun again, confused. This thing's amazing. But he gets into his. Uh, oh, and that was another thing. The first uh, guard, he calls he him Mr. Smith, calls him Mr. Smith. Again, no one knows, knows who, who anyone is. is in this place. Yes. Yeah. But he goes into his, his office. Burning the midnight oil, Mr. Smith. Yeah. Bam. Uh, but he makes it into his office, doesn't kill that guard. And he calls his uh, lawyer, Harold Carnes, and basically confesses to everything. And this is another really, really great performance, I think, because it's all one take where he's confessing, like, I, I killed some escort girls, five or ten homeless people. Maybe 40 people. Uh, Bethany, some man with a dog, uh, killed a girl with a chainsaw. Uh, I killed Paul Allen with an axe, and I killed a lot of people. I ate some of their brains. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he basically describes everything he does in the book, but we don't necessarily see in the movie. Yeah. Because um, he mentions killing his ex-girlfriend, Bethany, who we never see. And uh, so he's like, I, and he's like, I don't think I'm going to get away with it this time, but I may see you at Harry's bar, so <laughs> keep your eyes open. <laughs> it's really funny. He's going to go hang out the next day. And he does, in fact, see him at Harry's bar. Yeah. That's the next scene, right? Well, the next scene is he goes back to Paul Allen's place to try to clean up all the dead bodies because he hasn't been caught yet. So he thinks, oh, I better go to Paul Allen's, get rid of all the dead bodies and everything. But when he walks into Paul Allen's place, all the bodies are gone. All the furniture's gone. The walls have been painted in white. There's a realtor there giving a couple a tour of the building. And she's like... You know, oh, are you my two o'clock? And he goes, uh, and, and Patrick Bateman's so confused. He has no idea what's happening. He thinks he's going crazy. Doesn't Paul Allen live here? And she's like, no. Why are you here? Like, did you see that ad in the Times? And he goes, uh, yeah, there wasn't an ad in the Times. I need you to leave. Mm, busted. Yeah. And so she kind of kicks him out. Um, and then this is when 
he calls Jean. He's freaking out, and you know he kind of yells at her like, "Stop sounding so fucking sad!" And because she's like worried about him, yeah. And that causes her to go into his office, and she discovers his because um, he's like, "I don't planner. think I'm gonna make it to the office today." And there's an ellipses there that make you know, yeah. Um, and yeah, she finds all the weird calendar. Like, yeah, she, it's like little cartoons of death on each day that he's busy. Yeah, <laughs> until one's like the 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 month of. A like complete rampage. It just looks insane. Looks mm-hmm. like a Tool album cover. <laughs> but yeah, she. So she's realizing what a monster is he is. But he goes to I, I think Harry's bar, mm-hmm. meets up with the boys. Bryce still can't get a res. Um, and but he sees Harold, his lawyer, and he goes up to him and he's like, "Hey, did you get my message?" And Harold, yeah, like, it was oh, fucking hilarious. Was fucking hilarious. <laughs> he doesn't realize he's Paul Allen, or, or I'm sorry. He doesn't know he's Patrick Bateman. He still thinks he's uh, Davis. Yeah. This other, this completely other person that we haven't heard of named Davis. The only problem with your joke is that Bateman would never do all that. He's such a dork. Yeah, he's a, he's a boring, spineless lightweight. <laughs> and he's like, I'm Patrick Bateman. I killed Paul Allen with an axe. And I liked it. Uh, but Harold, This you isn't know, funny anymore. It's not funny. I had dinner with Paul Allen in London twice. He's okay. And, uh... Yeah, he goes and sits down. The boys are watching a Ronald Reagan press conference, and Bryce is upset. Like, how does he get away with? How can he live with himself lying like that? And which which makes Patrick Bateman laugh his ass off because he does the same exact thing. Like, I'm just a happy camper. Well, he says, I wonder what he's like inside. And Patrick's monologue says, inside doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even an issue. Like, who care? All that matters is what people can see. All that matters is you know the external mm-hmm. things. Yeah, and then he starts looking around in the bar at all the yuppies he's surrounded with and says, like, he he wants his pain to be inflicted on all others, but my punishment continues to elude me. This confession has meant nothing. And the movie ends. Yeah. That is the end. Uh, so, Chris, we've been skirting around this all episode. What do you think about this ending? I, I, I don't think it matters, really. Right. Like it's not the kind of movie where you need to figure out per se, like what did transpire because we had an unreliable narrator. All we're supposed to take from it is the moral of the story beyond the obvious metaphor for capitalism and and greed and all that stuff is that he tried to have a character arc. He tried to feel guilty to be to come clean. He needed that absolution. But the, the true horror twist of this movie is that no one cares yeah. You know what I mean? All those crimes are occurring. It's obvious that it's him. He admits it throughout the movie, but they're all too self-absorbed and narcissistic in their own way to hear that or give a fuck. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Which I think is the true terror of society. It's not that people like that exist, but that other people don't care, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it does confuse me. The whole Paul Allen apartment thing confuses me more than the Paul Allens may be alive in London. Because, again, none of these people know who each other are. So that that lawyer saying that he had lunch with Paul Allen, I think it's extremely likely that was someone else and he just didn't, didn't even know. Yeah. Um, but the apartment thing is a little weird. So the apartment thing is uh, I think you're supposed to take it. So we talked about Mary So when Heron. he killed Christy, that was Paul Allen's apartment building? Yeah. Where he's hiding all the bodies? Okay. Yeah. So he's been using Paul Allen's apartment supposedly as this place where he can, like, kill people and not dirty up his apartment, basically. Yeah. Um, but the, I think what you're supposed to take from it. So Mary Heron has said like, you know, they've, her and, uh, Guinevere wanted the movie to be 
ambiguous. And Mary Heron has said that she thinks her biggest failing in as director of the scene is so many people leave the theater and are like, oh, it was a dream. It was all in his head. None of the killings happened because they wanted it to be ambiguous, like of did it or didn't it. But so many people just walk out of the yeah. theater and automatically assume it was a dream sequence. I, I agree with you that he actually did kill all these people because the, the scene with the realtor is the one that kind of sells it for me because the realtor, the, the way that actress acts in that scene where he walks into Paul Allen's apartment, it's all cleaned up. She kind of quizzes him and she kind of immediately knows who he is. Like she, or at least she knows I more than what she lives bodies on. Up. <laughs> and, and, well, and that's the thing is like this realtor, instead of like, admitting that a bunch of murders happened in this apartment. She's willing to like wipe it away, clean it up, make this facade. This is a $6 so million dollar apartment. She can sell the $6 million apartment and just keep making more commodity and, and just put everything else under the rug. And I think that fits so well with the theming of this movie Yeah, that that's what I choose to believe is, is in, at least in that case. I like that. Um, but there's also definitely part of this movie because Patrick Bateman is such an unreliable narrator. Like he takes those pills at one point. So he's got, some kind of diagnosed mental illness. Yeah, exactly. And of course, like the whole like feed me a stray cat thing, like sure. that has to be some sort of dream sequence, right? Like it has to be some sort of like, well, so what is real? What's actually happening? I think there's a great form of debate. And you know me, Chris, I'm a huge sucker for movies that have ambiguous endings Blade where Runner. you can debate. I fucking love Blade Runner. I love Inception. The Thing. I love Inception. This movie, I love movies that you walk away where you're like, I think this happened, but I, it could have been this as well. There's definitely evidence for both. Yeah, for both options. I and agree, I, and I think that's why this movie for me um, is so high up on my list of movies I like. Fuck yeah! Yeah, fuck I'm with yeah. you. Four and a half stars in Letterboxd. I'm, I'm marking it right now, dude. Hell yeah! So I finished it this morning. I watched it this morning. So and this I was had, the I second time. Yet. Yeah, I think it's the second time I've ever seen it. What a what a what an adventure. What a journey we just went on. I know. Well, I've got to go return some videotapes. So good. My name is Kit. <laughs> I'm Steve. And this is Streaming Things. Happy streaming. I'm really planning on doing that every time. <laughs> oh my God, please do. Then it will be a joke for like... 3,000 people, but also anyone who loves that movie, and that's it. Yeah. And then for the next three years, we'll have people messaging us every couple weeks. Like, why does Chris keep saying, uh, i got to return to videotapes? <laughs> Ten years from now. What's a videotape? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>